Well, I actually wanted to start by uh, reading something uh, that my daughter wrote for me to start preaching on. A, a couple of weeks ago, I was actually originally scheduled to preach last week on Mother's Day. And uh, we had to move some things around so Clayton and Jen could have some time off this weekend, which they absolutely deserve. And uh, I was sitting around the kitchen table and I said, you know, girls, what should, what should I preach on? And uh, they were coming up with ideas, as kids do. And uh, I said, well, maybe you should go ask Jesus and uh, see what he tells you. And a little, while, a little uh, while later, my oldest daughter, Audrey, appears, hands me this, and says, start here. So I'm going to do that. So keep in mind, this was supposed to be on Mother's Day. Moms are the best. Moms are great. Moms are better than chocolate cake, which is all true statements, but a little something from my family to you guys. I've been spending a lot more time with my family, which has been a real blessing. I usually put a lot of hours in, in the office. I travel a lot for work, and I haven't missed dinner with my wife and kids in a few months, and that's been a real blessing. I also have been able to get a few more runs in, and uh, been trying to hit the road a little bit, and usually I listen to music when I run. I like to keep it very peppy. If you were driving on the road, you might wonder if I was dancing or running, uh, but lately I have been going back to some sermons and books, which is sometimes difficult to do when you read, but I've gone back to some material that left a real profound mark on me. And this is stuff from Bill Johnson, Lance Wall now, Randy Clark, Dan Moeller, stuff from 10, 15 years ago. And when I hear them, when I hear the revelation that they get, and I it desire, it, it comes up a desire in me to go find that in Scripture. Go hunt down what they're getting, get it for myself. Sometimes I got to go and listen to two or three different sermons to find what I was looking for, but then I'm writing other things down and then going and pursuing that in Scripture. And it, I found it's just been a wonderful time of a new hunger for scripture, um, you know, building up in me. And so I wanted to share some of those perspectives. And if you're familiar with those guys, some of these might sound familiar. Some of the stories I'm going to tell might sound familiar, but I trust it'll be worth it. But the main reason I felt led to talk about this is because this is a period of, it's a really highly emotional experience. We're going to remember 2020, right? In a couple of decades from now, people will be talking about 2020, remember when you couldn't get toilet paper, right? This is something that people are going to be talking about. And highly emotional experiences leave like an indelible ink on you, right? They leave a mark on you in that period of your life. I'll give you another example. 9-11. I remember exactly where I was when I found out what was going on. I was about to leave for class. I was a senior in college. I ran outside. I grabbed my roommate, Tommy, a different Tommy. And I said, you know, get in here. And we sat on the couch and didn't move and watched as things unfolded. Uh, if you're really old, like Ken Grenfell, who's I thought was going to be here, but he's not. So this is maybe not going to be as funny. But if you're really old like him, maybe you uh, remember the JFK assassination. Um, it's a highly emotional experience for the country. Actually, maybe that wasn't a good example because he wasn't even living in the U.S. then. But I think you get what I mean. Um, and there don't have to be all negative experiences. There are positive experiences that are highly emotional, like maybe your first kiss and others that we can keep G-rated, like maybe your wedding or the birth of your children, right? Those are the types of experiences that end up programming you. If you've ever met somebody that actually went through the Great Depression uh, or maybe their children were young uh, or, or during that period, I mean, the amount of stuff they have in their basement probably could have lasted them through the pandemic, right? It changed their behavior, right? And uh, it's important to understand that because uh, what, it's important to understand what program you're running because what happens is when you come under pressure, you default to that program, right, that you've been running your whole life. 
In fact, statistically, you won't innovate under pressure or create a new behavior. Statistically, that's one of the most predictable times. So that means that our state, right, our emotional state, is everything. And we want to operate at a very high emotional state, right, a peak emotional state. And a peak emotional state would be a kingdom state. So according to Romans 14:17, it states that uh, the kingdom of God is not eating or drink, but it's in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost or in the Holy Spirit. So that means without the Holy Spirit, that's not accessible. We just need to know where the Holy Spirit is and we can have access to peace and joy that the world doesn't have. And in times like this, how much more important is it as believers that we have peace, right, when the world doesn't? So we know what we need, right, Uh, the Holy Spirit. We need to know where it is. So where is the Holy Spirit? Well, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, which is in you. So when the veil was torn from one end to the other at Jesus' death, God was released from a confined place to be able to enter into the kingdom of redeemed believers. So where is the kingdom? It's in the Holy Spirit. Where is the Holy Spirit? It's in you. Therefore, if you don't go within, you will go without. If you don't go within, take in the Holy Spirit and access the fullness of what God has for you, you'll go without. So let's talk about peace for a minute. A few weeks ago, Dwayne talked about uh, peace, and it was a great message. uh, So you should go back and listen to it if you missed it. Um, But I want to talk about peace. And if you want to read with me, uh, we're going to go into Luke chapter 10, verse 5. And hopefully that's on the screen there for you. And it says, but whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. And if not, it'll return to you. See, what we need to remember as believers is, is that as sons and daughters, we carry an authority. And when you walk in with that authority, what this saying is that your state, if you have a state of peace, it has an infectious quality that can take over the territory, that it can take over that real estate. Which means when you walk into a room, peace should walk into that room. The worst case is if there's other things operating there, it's just going to come back to you. You're not, in, you're not in any trouble. So a kingdom state is everything. And as believers, we need to be self-aware. We need to know what our state is. So how do you know that? I'm going to give you two points. First, what gets your attention gets you. This is why what we focus on matters. Whatever dominates your focus will dominate you. So we must be self-aware and choose what we focus on, especially in times like this where worry and fear and doubt come into play. You have to actively choose. I'm going to focus on this, the Holy Spirit, accessing what God has for me instead of those things. Second, state is also the byproduct of self-talk. Romans 12.2, it says that you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, not your spirit, because your spirit's brand new. So what you say to yourself actually matters. You know that you can think at over 1,500 words per minute, according to Minnesota University, Missouri University, and the University of Notre Dame School of Law, over 1,500 words per minute, and some estimate as high as 4,000. But you can actually process like a max of 400. So that means 70, 80, 90% of this is completely unconscious. So how do you even know what you're saying to yourself? You have to be self-aware because you always feel what you're saying. This is why people smile. 
right? Have you ever yelled at somebody and your heart rate go down? It's not going to happen. You feel what you're saying, right? That's why your heart rate elevates, your blood pressure elevates if you've ever been into, into a fight, which means what you take in matters because that's what's going to come out on the other side. You know, Jesus said in Mark 4.24, take heed what you hear. It's a wonderful verse. We even made a, a kid's song out of it. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. What you hear can easily become your focus. And what gets your focus gets you. So what do we do in a time like this? Or it's trialing, it's, it's tribulation, could be even worse in another time. Well, Jesus said in Luke twenty-one twenty-eight, when these things happen, look up. Look up for your redemption is drawing near. In other words, when you find yourself in a difficult situation, shift your focus. In Psalms, it says, I will lift my eyes unto the hills where my help comes from. When I'm in a difficult situation, I will shift my focus away from fear, away from doubt, away from worry to the Lord. See, the context that you put on, on circumstances always determines the state you're in with that circumstance. So what you say to yourself about what's happening is half the battle. Transformation comes by the renewing of your mind so you can say what God is saying and not what your flesh is saying. And the beauty is, as believers, we, have a, we can have a different perspective because negative experiences will happen. You can't go through life without having some, right? You could get dumped. You could get beat up. You could get cheated out of money. Negative things are going to happen. But how do we have the right focus on that? Let me take Joseph for an example. I love preaching on Joseph. I preached on him last time about having an excellent spirit. And after his brothers almost kill him, he's sold into slavery. He gets put into prison on false rape charges, right? But what was, what was it about Joseph that enabled him to have a different focus, that enabled him to exceed no matter what, that enabled him to be an overcomer? You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. I mean, that's in Genesis 50. But, you know, saying another way like you don't have any power over me these circumstances don't have any power over me i mean the focus and that he was in the context he was able to put on the circumstance is everything so focus and self-talk will determine your state there's a good story about this actually from 9-11 that morning there were four investment bankers get into an elevator with a window washer on the 70th uh, something floor and they start to descend down the World Trade Center and the plane hits the building and the elevator comes to a stop. Now the investment bankers with their Armani suits and, and, and wealth get on their cell phones and this was not a time when cell phones were ubiquitous as they are today other than Zach Morris. You know, we were just moving to the flip phone. But they get out their, their cell phones and they get a hold of their secretaries, you know, find out what maintenance is going on. I've got a meeting. I've got to get there. But the less sophisticated individual uh, the less educated, likely less compensated, approaches the situation with emotional intelligence. He realizes he needs to get the doors open. So he takes his mop and he jams them into the door and pries them open. And he comes up against solid drywall. And he can see that there's ink on the drywall that says like they're between the 42nd and the 41st floor. And he remembers there's a men's room going in on the 42nd floor this might be where they are. So he breaks down his mop to the metal portion and he begins to bang on the drywall until he finds a spot that is opportunistically hollow. And he carves about a one by one and a half by one and a half foot section, which ends up being underneath the sink in the men's room 
and he crawls through to see what's going on. He comes back. He pulls through the four investment bankers. Through the smoke and the alarms, he takes them to the stairwell where they descend, where they descend physically over 40 floors to exit the building a sufficient distance just in time before the building collapses. But the question is, who is the leader in the elevator? It's an important question because I bet I'd get a different answer if I asked it in the beginning of the story. In a room full of questions, who by default is the leader? It's the person who knows what to do. In a room full of questions, the leader is the person with the answer. In a time of great darkness, the leader is the people with illumination. In a time of unrest, unknown, despair, in a time of isolation, the leaders are the people with peace. In a time of uncertainty, the leaders are the people with the answers. This reminds me of a testimony that Tommy gave a few weeks ago when he opened the service about somebody from Free Life Church who felt led to write down Psalm 91 and put it in folks' mailboxes right on their street or maybe it was a couple of blocks. Wrote down the psalm and said, I'm praying for you. If there's anything you need prayer for, let me know. And she got to get some answers, right? Thank you. I needed that. I need prayer for this. I want what you have. You have what I'm looking for. In a room full of questions, the people are, the leaders are the people with answers. So I want to talk about a few ways to get some of those answers, which is prayer. And there are many, many different types of prayer. It's mentioned in the Bible over 130 times. There's some great sermons on it out there. I'm going to just talk about two before we end today. The first is prayer of agreement. And in uh, Matthew 18, verse 19, it says, If two of you agree on earth on anything, they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. That's powerful. I'm in agreement with that, actually. This is telling us that there's power in agreement, especially in prayer. This is so important for husbands and wives. And if you want to know why, if you took a survey, you'd find out how few husbands actually pray with their wives. And, you know, I'm guilty of that. I've, I've, there's times in my life where I've prayed with my wife less than, than in other periods. And guys, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about, where you kind of get in your own head about it, where you want to start, but then you just don't. It's easier to pray on your own. You feel maybe it's going to be embarrassing. Uh, the enemy doesn't want you to do it. And if the enemy doesn't want you to do something, you probably should, right? And it's, it's funny because we'll do the most intimate and vulnerable things with that person, yet we won't lead them in prayer. And in First Peter 3, 7, it says, and I'm paraphrasing here, it says, make sure you're getting along with your wife so that your prayers aren't hindered. Why? Because there's particular power in covenant agreement. And there's no stronger covenant between two people than a husband and wife. So when you and your wife or your husband and you come into an uh, agreement over prayer, uh, that's a force multiplier. And if you don't know what that term is, force multiplier is a military term. And it means a factor or a combination of factors that give someone or some people the ability to accomplish greater... ...is praying with your spouse and getting into the agreement over the will of God for your life. I will be in agreement with my wife over our children over my career, over where we're going to live, or whatever I need to be in agreement from, because I want that force multiplier. And even if you're not praying with your spouse, I'll just say that when you begin to pray with someone or people, 
and you do it frequently, you'll find that it will just um, knit your hearts together. It just becomes a really wonderful bonding experience. So I encourage you guys to do that. The other type of prayer I want to touch on today is praying in tongues or praying in the Spirit. I know this subject sometimes can be touchy with some folks, and I'm not here to to force my belief on anyone. I'm going to make a pitch for it. Uh, Praying in the Spirit or the tongues is a gift of the Spirit. We can read about that in the Bible, in the book of Acts, Romans, Corinthians, it's in Mark. It's in the Bible, and I found it to be a very useful tool that I use every day. In fact, there's times in my life where I absolutely will pray more in tongues than I do in English. Sometimes I'm just praying, or uh, sometimes I'm just doing the dishes and I just start praying, and my wife comes in, who are you talking to? Sorry, I was just praying. You almost don't even realize you're getting into it. I do want to say this. If you don't pray in tongues, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't have to pray in tongues to be saved. I do not believe you have to pray in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized by the Spirit. But I do believe the gift has practical applications. And I do want to talk about that. Because I do think it's a little underutilized in the church or in the body of Christ. You know, I was growing up in the 80s and 90s. And I grew up in a household where praying in tongues happened. I grew up in a church where praying in tongues was prevalent. And what I remember hearing about it then was that it was kind of like a way to charge your battery. And I'm not saying that's not true because in a way it actually does charge your battery. But that's not a full revelation, right? I don't think it's an adequate revelation for the time we're living in. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul writes, He that speaks or he that prayeth in an unknown tongue edifies himself. Let me give you another translation. He that prayeth in an unknown tongue builds an edifice to house a revelation of your missing peace. He that prayeth in an unknown tongue buildeth an edifice to house the revelation of your missing peace. What does that mean? Well, I've I've talked to people and said, you know, I, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. I don't know what to do. Okay, well, have you tried praying about it? Yes, I've tried praying about it. Have you tried praying in tongues? What do you mean? What I mean is, I'm talking about 15 or 20 minutes of that a day. And what will happen is you will begin to build an edifice that will house the anointing to attract your missing peace. See, a prayer in tongues is, is designed to be answered just like a prayer in English. And I can tell you from experience that building up to 15 or 20 minutes a day is not easy. And I was ministering to someone and explaining this concept to them. And I said, I can't do that. I said, okay, do five minutes. I said, I can't do that. I said, do three, do two, do one. I know you can do one. Put a timer on, force yourself to do it. I know you can make it one minute. And this is like building a muscle, right? And what's important is that exercise conditions the muscle that you've already built. You build a muscle by tearing down the muscle that you've already have, and it builds more capacity. And there's plenty of people in this church that you can talk to, like Corey or Aaron, that know a lot more about that than me. Um, But what happens is when you build the muscle, you actually tear down the muscle that you've already built. So when you're exercising, you know, you're doing the first two sets, that's conditioning, and you get to that third set, and you're, you're tearing that muscle down. You're forcing yourself, and when it gets rebuilt, it's bigger. When you expand your capacity, like using a spiritual gift, um, you maintain it. But like being sore after lifting or exercising, building capacity isn't always fun. It hurts sometimes. But when you pray in the unknown tongue, your spirit is praying past the limitation of your marriage problem that you can't figure out. 
Your spirit is praying past the issue with your children that you can't figure out. It's praying past the limitations of the relationship that's broken or the business plan you can't figure out. It's praying past the limitations of the burden you can't seem to carry. It's praying you right into divine appointments. This reminds me of a story from Randy Clark. One day, his wife, Deanne, was praying for their son, Joshua. He was about three years old and suffering from an asthma attack. And they knew, something a, lot, they knew a lot about this because he had been woken up at 3 a.m. for years with Josh having another attack. And they had actually almost lost him to a similar attack recently. So parents will know what I mean when she was praying with real seriousness. But Josh looked up at Deanne and said, don't pray that way, Mommy. Pray the other way. She asked, what do you mean? Josh replied, you know, Mommy, when you use words, I don't understand. Why? She asked. And he replied, because it works better. See, our prayers in English can be sometimes be tainted by our own immaturity or lack of understanding and letting other things get in the way, but your prayers in tongues are always accurate. I was on a ministry team here once praying for people and I got to the next gentleman and he said he just wanted prayer. He didn't tell me why and uh, nothing specific. And so I usually have a way that I like to start prayerless like that, hoping that and waiting for the Holy Spirit to, to guide me. And when I went to pray, I went blank. I had, didn't know what to do. So I started praying in tongues. And then I felt God say, just that, just in tongues. Before I knew it, the man was on the ground getting ministered to by the Holy Spirit. See, I didn't know what to do. But when you pray in the Spirit, you pray past your own limitations, and you pray in a language that the spirit realm understands. I want to tell you another story about Randy and his wife that actually ties in both prayer of agreement and praying in tongues. Randy was on a trip ministering in Brazil and had a wonderful creative miracle take place where a woman with advanced Parkinson's was healed. The next morning, he called his wife, very excited to tell Deanne about what happened. And before he could tell her, she said, you had something powerful happen last night, didn't you? Yes, it was amazing. How did you know? She said, it happened around midnight, didn't it? Yes, how do you know? She told them that then their youngest son, Jeremiah, woke up screaming at midnight, acting as if he had a terrible earache. Deanne was up until 5 a.m. with him, and as long as she prayed in tongues, he wouldn't cry. But the moment she switched back to English, the pain would become so unbearable that he would cry. Through discernment, Deanne clued in at the possibility of Randy was seeing a major healing and was prepared to fight through it as a family in agreement fight through the attack in agreement that he was fulfilling his calling in ministry. This was the only earache that Jeremiah ever had growing up. Now the focus isn't on the spiritual attack. Yes, they are real. The focus is on that they were in agreement with God's plan for their family. So we don't focus on that spiritual attack because what we focus on gets us, right? So it's important to remember that. So if Paul spoke in tongues more than anyone, as he actually says in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, and he never traveled with Jesus, but he had a revelation that even the other apostles had to scratch their head to figure out as he wrote at least a third of the New Testament, then God proved through Paul that the secret to understanding the mysteries of God for your life is through the discipline and the development of the unknown tongue, building an edifice to house the revelation of what you do not understand. So what don't we understand? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 22, 
verse 29, the NIV states, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. The New King James Version says you're mistaken not knowing the scriptures, scriptures or the power of God. Therefore, those are the two sources of error for every situation or unanswered prayer that I personally have to default back to. Either I don't have an adequate or I have an inadequate revelation of the truth, capital T, or I have an inadequate revelation of the scriptures on that matter, or an inadequate access to the anointing that addresses the problem. But when you pray in tongues or you pray in the spirit, you build an edifice to house an anointing to locate the revelation that you're missing or to attract the power that isn't present. That's my pitch for praying in tongues. I hope it made sense to you. There are so many good books and sermons available on this. I can do plugs for Randy and Bill. I'm a huge fan of Dan Moeller's uh, sermon on praying in tongues. It's on YouTube. I'm sure a simple search could find that. Uh, That's just one of my favorites. And I trust that something you heard today was helpful. And I would try to remember that the context that you put on any situation, especially the one we're in now, really matters. I'd like to end with just praying for everybody. Heavenly Father, I just want to bless everybody that's tuned in this morning or that's hearing this message. Father, if they desire to pray in tongues, Lord, that you would release, release the utterance to them now. I just bless them, Lord. And I just thank you that we don't have to be fearful that we can live in peace and joy in your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.